Take your Bibles, if you would, and be opening them to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're in a series, Together We Stand. And uh, we've been looking at key passages throughout 1 Corinthians. Not uh, all of the passages, but several key passages. Uh, The first message was, um, where's your allegiance? If you remember, uh, some at there was an argument at Corinth that some said they were of Apollos, some said they were of Cephas, some said they were of Paul, and some said they were of Christ. And then the second message is when nobody becomes a somebody. You remember it said God chose the weak, God chose the foolish, God chose the things that aren't to put to shame the things that are. And then uh, the third week was two weeks ago. We, of course, were froze out last week, but uh, uh, two weeks ago, Brother Ed preached out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where they, they were dealing with a lot of sexual immorality in the church. And so tonight we get to um, chapter 8. But before we look at chapter 8, I want you to look back at chapter 7, verse 1. Because there's a little transition that takes place, and I don't want you to miss it. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So obviously, part of 1 Corinthians is in response to a letter that the church had written to Paul. So they wrote to Paul asking some questions, and this is part of Paul's answer as he answers them back. Now I point that out to you, chapter 7, by the way, deals with marriage and divorce and being single and widows, but we get to chapter 8, and and notice how it begins, the very first verse, now concerning things offered to idols. It's almost the same phrase that he uses in 7.1 where he says, now concerning things of which you wrote to me. And so this is obviously something that they had asked him about in their letter. Now, we're tempted to look at this chapter and say, you know what? (laughs) That doesn't have a whole lot to do with 2019 because when I go to Kroger or go to Myers, I'm not worried about whether or not the meat I'm purchasing has been sacrificed to an idol. That's just not on my concern list. And so we would be tempted to just skip past this so what's the correlation between meat sacrifice to idols in 2019 it has to do with what we call gray areas gray areas areas that aren't black or white they're gray now obviously the bible doesn't address every possible scenario in life there's no way because there's just so many different scenarios that could happen And so there are gray areas when it doesn't specifically address an issue. There's a gray area. Now, some want to make it black or white. But the truth is, the Scripture only leaves it at gray. And so for years, churches have struggled with what to do with these gray areas. Let me give you some contemporary examples. Areas that the Bible doesn't speak to directly. Now, you can take other Scriptures and apply them, but they specifically don't answer that specific question. For instance... Smoking. It's not in the scripture. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers um, ever to preach, said he would smoke cigars to the glory of God. And that was his phrase, not mine. I didn't make that up. That's what Spurgeon said, okay? Um, and, And he obviously was a fairly smart man. Now, we know today that smoking hurts the body, and you'll hear preachers preach on smoking. Obesity hurts the body as well. And you don't ever hear hardly many Baptist preachers preaching on that. I'm just saying. Movies. Should a Christian go to the movies? 
that are put out by Hollywood. That's not addressed in Scripture. That's a gray area. Shopping on Sunday. Should we shop on Sunday? Should we eat out on Sunday? Um, it's not an issue here, but in some churches, women wearing makeup or wearing pants is an issue. All right? There's a church not far from here that they would be told not to. Social drinking. Now, we know that Scripture teaches that being drunk is wrong. There are those who would say, well, Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine, and we could talk about what that meant. could go on and on, but hopefully you see there's some gray areas. There's some areas that Scripture doesn't specifically address. We can't take you to chapter and verse that says, thou shalt not smoke, thou shalt not gamble. You know, it's just not there. And so you have to apply principles from God's Word. Now, the context in Corinth, it was marked by religious pluralism. There were gods to everybody. All kinds of gods, all kinds of temples. And so meat being sacrificed to idols was the norm. It wasn't the exception, it was the norm. What you would do is if you wanted to go and worship a god, some pagan god, you would take an animal, just like the Jews would, and you would sacrifice that animal. You would put a third of the animal on the altar and you would burn it to that god. You would give a third of the animal to the priest and you would take a third of the animal home with you. Now, depending on how many sacrifices the priest had been doing, he may not need the meat. And so if he didn't need the meat, guess what he would do? He would take his third, take it to the meat market, and sell it. And so that's where the question arose, can we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Now, supposedly at Corinth, Warren Wiersbe says that there was meat available that wasn't sacrificed to idols, but it was quite a bit more expensive than the other meat and so christians were felt like they were in a dilemma do we buy the cheap stuff and be better stewards of the money we have or or do we hold to our concerns and not buy meat sacrificed to idols and so they were they were stuck and they asked paul about that they're wondering what should they do so what do you do when the bible doesn't say specifically that something's right or wrong and by the way let me just tell you as a black and white person if 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 you have one of those like apostle john temperaments you know i love john because i'm a black or white person and john's a black or white person you know you get over to first john and he says you know if we say we love god and hate our brother the truth isn't in us we're a liar you know he, he doesn't pull any punches john just says that you know it's black and white and so Black and white people like me and John, these gray areas drive us crazy because we want everything put in a nice, neat little box. I've entitled the message tonight, My Brother's Keeper. My Brother's Keeper, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, I invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's one God, the Father of whom are all things And we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat 
are we the better nor if we do not eat are we the worst but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom christ died but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience you sin against christ therefore paul says if food makes my brother stumble i will never eat uh, i will never again eat meat lest i make my brother stumble god bless the reading of his word go ahead and be seated you and i understand that the the bible is not a rule book okay you know when it, when it comes time for a season like it's almost baseball season and softball season and so i recently got the rule books in the mail and you know they spell it all out this is this is what the rule says and you don't deviate from the rule the bible's not a rule book now it has rules in it that we should pay attention to but it's not primarily a rule book it's primarily a book of principles it gives you principles which to live your life by if it was a rule book then there'd need to be a rule for every situation in life but there's there's not and so we know that it's not that so it gives us principles to help navigate now it's important to understand the plethora of gray areas that face the church i mentioned some a little while ago let me let me mention some different kind should christian families allow santa claus to be part of the christmas celebration should christians hunt easter eggs at easter I mean, I can't take you to a, some would say, well, we shouldn't hunt Easter eggs at Easter because that came from a pagan festival, but I can't take you to chapter and verse that says thou shalt not hunt Easter eggs. All right. Um, should a Christian gamble? Should a Christian drink alcohol? Should they smoke? Some say, well, since Christ set us free, we can do anything we want. We have liberty. And some say they're very legalistic and say, no, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't touch it. We shouldn't be around it. So life's filled with gray areas two things i want you to notice from our scripture number one love is the test for liberty love is the test for our freedom if you would drop down to verse nine he says but beware lest this liberty what is it that he wants us to beware of what is this caution that he's telling us about the answer is found in verse one he says we all have knowledge concerning the things to idols we know that we all have knowledge in other words we all have some bit of knowledge he's talking about spiritual knowledge but then he goes on to say knowledge puffs up but love edifies the word puffs up there's the picture of blowing up a balloon or inflating a tire okay and he says that that's what spiritual knowledge does to us it puffs us up it it, it gives us the big head if you would okay um but love edifies love builds up whereas knowledge puffs up what happens to a balloon if you keep putting air in it it pops right in the same way prideful spiritual knowledge is self-destructive if we take pride in how much we know about the lord and his word it can be self-destructive so what's the answer if, if spiritual knowledge leads us to be puffed up and that's a bad thing then do we stop growing is, is that the answer we just don't study anymore no the answer again is in verse one he says knowledge puffs up but what love edifies love builds up so the sp secret to having spiritual knowledge and not being prideful 
is a heart of love. And so tonight, I'd ask you, are you building, are you building others up? Because that's what love does. It edifies. It, that word means build up. Or are you um, not building them up? Why do we pray together? Why, why do we have class together and, and community together? And why do we pray for one another? And, and, and why do we study God's Word? And, and why do we sing together? And why do we minister to others? And why do we worship together? It, it's all because of the fact that we have knowledge that we're supposed to do it, but we do it in love. They have to go hand in hand. So some people in Corinth were bragging about the fact they knew they had freedom to eat the meat. Ah, it's nothing. Eat it. It's no big deal. They weren't showing love and respect to those who thought it was a big deal. People who hadn't maybe gotten that far along in their journey. The new Christians who had just maybe come out of worshiping this pagan god, all of a sudden, a Christian who's been a Christian for five years is telling them, oh, you can eat meat sacrificed to that god. It's no big deal. And, and so they weren't understanding. They weren't able to process it. And so the, the, the believer who had the knowledge was not loving towards the one who not yet had that knowledge. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Verse 26 of that chapter. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for building up. And so there's this danger in having knowledge, but there's also a deficiency if you don't have knowledge. It's kind of a tension. In verse 2, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Is it just me, or does that sound confusing? You know, th th this month, well, actually last month, January, been a pastor for 29 years, been studying, outlining, preaching, teaching the Word of God. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, I am not an authority on the Word of God. Now, there have been times I felt like it when I graduated with a B.A. in Religious Studies from Stetson University, which, by the way, U.S. News and World Report is, it says it's the fifth uh, best regional college in the South, regional university in the South. And then I went on to Southwestern Seminary, got 94 hours of seminary, and graduated with a Master of Divinity. I thought, man, I know the answers to the questions. After 29 years, I realized I don't even know most of the questions. I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. The more I study God's Word, the more I realize there is to know about God and about His Word. There's a danger of, of the danger of knowledge is pride, but you can't allow the deficiency of knowledge. And, and so what motivates your choice? When it comes to a gray area and you make your choice, what motivates it? Is it liberty? Because you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm free to do it. I, there's no verse that says I can't do it. Or is it love? Do you say, well, you know... I probably could do it, but I don't want to do it because it might make somebody else stumble in their faith, and that's the last thing that I want to do. Verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. There's no other God but one. Paul says, listen, we understand. Now remember, he's writing to the church, and he says, we understand there's not any other gods. And so when they, when they take it down there to the corner and offer it to that pagan god, they're doing nothing except cutting up a piece of meat. That's what Paul says. That's all they're doing. Because we know that their idol is nothing. There is no God but one. And so they're really not offering it to anyone or anything. 
It's just a piece of meat is what Paul is saying there in verse 4. But not everybody understood that. Verse 13, Paul says, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And so when it comes to these gray areas, here's what we need to do. Before we make our choice, we need to ask ourselves, how is this going to affect others? What are others going to think about the choice I make, about the decision I make and what I choose to do or not do? See, something may not be a violation of God's word. Something may be fine. But if it causes your brother to stumble, then Paul says... Out of love for them, it would be better not to do it than to exercise the freedom that you have to do it because you don't want them to stumble. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul says it may be lawful, but that doesn't make it right. doesn't mean you ought to do it just because it, you can do it. So, love... Te or, um, Love tests our liberty. Secondly, love trumps our liberties. In these 13 verses, nine times the word knowledge or know is found. So obviously, Paul's saying there's something that we need to know. What is it? He mentions in verse 9 those that are weak. The word weak there means feeble or sickly. It's a picture of somebody who's struggling to get around. They can't, they can't hardly walk. They're not very mobile. It's a picture of somebody who might stumble and fall because of their lack of strength. It's the word that he uses. I think every church, even Eastwood, has weak members. Those who are spiritually weak. And because they're spiritually weak, it's easy for them to stumble and to fall. So in verse 9, he says, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours, this freedom of yours, become a stumbling block to those who are weak causes them to stumble the picture the word picture there is putting a rock in front of somebody who's having a hard time getting around knowing they may not be able to lift their foot over that rock and it's going to trip them up that's the word picture that paul says he says you doing something may cause them to stumble and fall i think we have a responsibility to one another we can't just do our own thing and do whatever we think is right without taking into account what others might think verse 10 for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who's weak, in other words, the, the new Christian be emboldened, or the baby Christian to eat those things offered to idols? You know, maybe they had been worshiping at that, alt, at, that, at that shrine or temple, and they see you eating there, and they think, man, I, I thought that wasn't a real God. What, what are they doing? Friend, let's say Jan and I go to a Chinese restaurant. And there's all of these little Chinese idols around. You've seen them. And, and so we're sitting there, and a new Christian who's come out of Buddhism sees us eating amongst all the idols. Paul says they, they would be tempted to think, well, I don't guess those idols, I don't guess that's wrong because they're eating there. Or if you walked by our table and Jan had a glass of wine and I had a beer in front of me and, and you were a recovering alcoholic and you had come to Christ and you were trying your best to stay sober and you walk past my table and you think, okay, so Brother Tom's drinking a beer so there must not be anything wrong with it and leads you to stumble, leads you back into sin to fall. 
love should trump our liberties. It's not a matter of whether it's right or wrong to eat the meat. The real question is, what's it going to do to the weaker brother if we do? I want you to notice verse 12, because I think it's really, really important what Paul says. But when you thus sin against the brethren. What Paul's saying is, if I do something out of liberty that causes you, a weaker brother or sister, to stumble and fall, I have sinned against you. That's what he says. I have sinned against you. I mean, you, you can't read that any other way. When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, what's the end result then? You sin against Christ. The word wound there means to strike or to harm. So you harm their conscience. Sunday, I know Pastor Ben was over here and I was at the South Campus and some of you were at the South Campus, most of you were here. Um, I, I shared how we all start out the same place in our physical life and in our spiritual life. Every one of us are born as babies, you know. Nobody comes out with a mustache and a full set of teeth. It just, you know, hopefully. It just doesn't have, if, if you do, you got bigger problems, all right, than just having a baby. But, but we're also spiritual infants. We're, we're, we're all born, as, when we're born again, we are spiritual babies. Now, when we're physically infant, an infant, we need a lot of help, right? We need a lot of people to take care of us. The tragedy is when it's spiritual infants and they don't mature and stay infants for a long period of time. That's a tragic thing. Paul said in 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the world, word that you may what? Grow thereby. He tells us we should grow in our faith. You know, being a grandparent is a lot of fun. Can I get an amen? Some, some of you are thinking, you guys flat lose your mind. I'm telling you, it'll happen to you too. You just wait. You do. You lose your mind. Grandbabies are great. But, but here's what I've noticed, you know, because we go up and see Hunter up in Louisville quite often, and he's like 18, 19 months old. I'm beginning to remember a lot of the things that I had forgot. For instance, when, when you hang out with Hunter, he needs somebody to be with him at all times. You know, you can't just say, hey, Hunter, hang out here. We're going to the store. We'll be back in a little bit. Watch TV. Um, infants require you to change their diapers for them. Infants require somebody to feed them. They can't feed themselves. I have found out that those little boogers are only concerned about the needs of one person. Them. You know, if their needs aren't being met, they're going to let you know. And... It doesn't take a whole lot to set them off. They could be hungry. They could have a wet diaper. Now, I, I shared Sunday out at South Campus that spiritual infants are eerily similar to physical infants. Let me, let me draw the analogy for you. Spiritual inf infants require constant attention. Somebody's always got to be paying attention to them. Spiritual infants create a stink and you have to go behind them and clean up the mess. Somebody has to spoon feed them because they have never figured out how to read God's word and study it for themselves. I have found that spiritual infants are only concerned about the needs of one person. They say things like, I don't like that music. 
I don't like that preacher. I don't like that fill-in-the-blank. Friend, it's really not about you and me and about what we like. It's about God and about what He wants and likes. And that's what matters. But when we're infants, we think it's all about us. The world is wrapped up around us. And spiritual infants are like bombs. It doesn't take a whole lot to, to set them off. And they just explode. We can't stay weak as infants. We've got to grow up in Christ. You know, when I was 17 years old and got saved, here's what I knew. This is, this, here was the extent of my theology. Are you ready? I knew that Jesus was God's son, that he died on the cross for me, and that he rose again. That's it. I mean, I wasn't raised in church. That, that's all I knew, that Jesus was God's son, that he came to earth, died for me, and rose again. I remember sitting in, I got saved as a senior in high school, went off to Florida State. I remember sitting in the Sunday school room at the First Baptist Church of Tallahassee. And uh, we were in the Old Testament, and I, I remember that it was Samson and Delilah because I thought, man, those are odd names. And so they're talking about Samson and Delilah, and they were talking about, it seemed as though they were talking about people that we should know. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't know these people. I've not met them. What kind of name is Delilah, Samson? You know, who are I, I thought they were talking about people that maybe were in the class, and they, they were talking about biblical characters. I mean, that's how biblically illiterate I was. But through a diet of the Word of God and prayer and worship and community, I was able to grow from being an infant to where I am today. About this liberty thing, here's the thing. The more you love God, the more willing you'll be to give up your liberties. Let me say that again. The more you love God, the more willing you are to give up those freedoms that you have to protect the conscience of your, your brother. Paul gives us... Um, take your Bible just for a minute. Turn it to Romans 14. I want you to follow along. So if you have a Bible, turn it. And if not, grab one of the pew Bibles because... Paul gives us some principles in Romans 14 of how we can respect the conscience of the younger brother, the weaker brother, and at the same time exercise the liberties that we know that we have in Christ. And, and so I just want to share with you these, I mean, they're just straight out of Scripture. I'm going to give you the principle, and we're going to read the verse. Give you the principle, and we're going to read the verse, okay? The first principle is welcome those who disagree with you. When it comes to this liberty and conscious thing, Paul says, welcome those who disagree with you. Look at chapter 14, 1 and 2. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. He says, if somebody doesn't believe the same thing you do about it, welcome them. It's not a deal. Principle number two. Those having freedom of conscience cannot look down on those who don't, and those whose conscience restricts them cannot be judgmental toward those who think they have freedom. Again, verses 3 and 4. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. He says, listen. It's not our place to judge. You know, if, if you eat it and they don't, don't look down your nose at them and say, yeah, you're a fool, you could be having steak tonight. And if you don't eat it, don't judge the ones who do. 
Principle number three. Each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own mind. When it comes to the gray areas, you have to be convinced in your own mind what you believe and why you believe it. Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be convinced fully in his own mind. Principle number four. Assume that others are abstaining or partaking for the glory of God. Assume that that person who's abstaining is doing it for the glory of God and that person who's eating is doing it for the glory of God. Look at verse 6. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Principle number five. Don't judge each other in these matters because we're all one day going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, I don't need to be worried about judging you because I know that one day I'm going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ for Tom. And you shouldn't be worried about me because you're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ for you. Verse 10, why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, now he's writing to the church, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Principle number six. Your freedom to eat meat is correct, but don't let your freedom destroy the faith of a weaker brother. You may have freedom to do something, but don't let that freedom destroy the faith of a weaker brother. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brothers grieve because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died, for whom Christ died. In other words, you know, don't, it's not that big of a deal. Um, don't destroy the faith of somebody else just because you know you have freedom to do something. Principle number seven. Disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God. Building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy is the important thing. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. I shared something um, yesterday or today with somebody I was talking to him, and I said, you know, perception is reality in the mind of the person who perceives it, Right? 
If, if, if they perceive that to be true, that's their reality. And so what Paul was saying is, you may know that the meat is, is it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles man. You may understand that, but your brother may not. And if he thinks that what he's eating is unclean, then to him it's unclean. And so he has to stay away from it because of his conscience. Number eight, if you have freedom, don't flaunt it. If you are strict, don't expect others to be strict like you. The beginning of verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what I think I got the wrong verse there. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Number nine, if you live according to your conscience, you're blessed. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. And then the last thing, last principle, follow Christ's example of putting others first. You may say, man, I really want that steak, but it's going to cause my brother to stumble. And so you follow Christ's example when you put other people first. Chapter 15, verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And so we might say that this thing about eating meat sacrificed to idols doesn't have a whole lot to do with where we live today. But I think it has a lot more to do with where we live than what we think. Because those gray areas, what do we do with them? My thought is we always err on the side of caution. If I think there's a remote chance that what I do is going to cause you to stumble, I ought not do it. Just because. So I think that's a good rule of thumb. Err on the side of caution. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is true, and and God, I know this is one of those passages where it's hard to truly grasp and gain meaning for the life we live today because the life situation is completely different. And yet, Lord, um, there's a little bit of Pharisee in every one of us where um, where we make things black or white that are really gray in your word, and and then we tend to look down at others or try to hold them up to the standard that we've set not the standard of your word and so for those times lord we ask for forgiveness and god i pray that everything that we do would be done out of love love for our brother and love for you lord because if we do it out of love for you and love for our brother then the liberty that we exercise will be okay we love you tonight because you loved us We thank you for the privilege of your word, the power of your word, and the price you paid for us. And so, Lord, now we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I imagine most of us here tonight are believers.